Hello, and welcome to Academy Conversations Uncut, a podcast of rare Q&As with the world's foremost filmmakers, hosted by the Academy and released for the first time to the public, unedited. Today's panel was recorded in October 2018 at the Samuel Goldwyn Theater in Beverly Hills, California, discussing the Academy Award-winning movie, A Star is Born, the most recent remake of the classic Hollywood tale of the downfall of an alcoholic star as he falls in love with, and forges the career of, a talented young singer. We were joined by actor-writer-director Bradley Cooper, actor Sam Elliott, cinematographer Matthew Lipatique, costume designer Aaron Benick, editor Jay Cassidy, and production designer Karen Murphy. The panel was hosted by Dave Carger. Here's Dave. Good evening, everybody. Thanks so much for sticking around. My name is Dave Carger. I'm a host on Turner Classic Movies. Let me introduce uh, our panel of six members of the cast and crew of this wonderful film, starting from the end. Karen Murphy, the production designer. Jay Cassidy, the editor. Aaron Benick, the costume designer. Matthew Liebetique, the director of photography. I mean, hello from the cast, Sam Elliott. And the producer, co-writer, director, songwriter, and actor, Bradley Cooper. Now that I just listed everything you did on this movie, we're out of time. <laughs> um, Bradley, this is the fourth time in the last month that you and I have sat down to talk about this movie, but it's the first time that I've sat next to you as you are the person who has the number one song on iTunes, which is Shallow. Did you... Shallow of you to say? <laughs> which is the song, Shallow. Did you ever think in the middle of this process, oh, I might actually have a number one song out of this movie? No, I, I thought that, no. <laughs> I, I, I did think that uh, the sky's the limit with her, though. Right. You, you've said, and now that I've seen her this... Her meaning Lady Gaga. Exactly. Now that I've seen this a number of times, you've said there would be no movie without Stephanie, as you call her Lady Gaga, and you're right. And obviously, when you two met, there was an instant connection there, and that connection survives to this day. Did you ever even talk to anyone else, any actors, any singers, about doing this role? Or was it kind of like you met her and then conversation over? Um, well, first of all, thank you. This is a huge honor for us to be here. Thank you very much, really. It's amazing. Um, and, and just when you said there's no movie without her, the truth is there's literally no movie without every single person on this stage. That's the truth. Um, uh, when Clint Eastwood first approached me about talking about potentially doing the movie, Beyonce was attached to it. Um, and then, uh, and then that, that, that was, that was the, the sort of the, 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 the journey. And then I thought about one other person, but then I sort of just put it away. And I thought maybe I was never going to make it. And then, and, then I ha and then I saw her and we talked about this. I was at this cancer benefit that Sean, at Sean Parker's house with my mother. Um, because I was starting a foundation because my father had passed away from cancer and the last performance was Lady Gaga singing uh, a cover of La Vie en Rose. 
And it just completely floored me. And I was like in this sort of state of euphoria uh, driving home. And, I, and that night I, I woke up the next day and I called her agent. I said, is there any way that she would meet with me? Uh, because, you know, I, I think that she might be perfect for this movie. And, and, that, and then that she was kind enough to meet with me. And then that's, that's how it started. And then once, once I actually met her, because I, I didn't really know her. I didn't even really know what she looked like. And, um, but re really, you know, I didn't know what her eyes looked like, any that, yeah. And, um, and then it was just right away, I thought, oh my gosh, she's, first of all, she's an incredible human being, so present and kind and warm and charismatic. And, um, and, then, and then we just, she seemed to really jive with the story that I wanted to tell. And then it started, and then that was it. And then, then I was completely had blinders on, and there was no movie without her. Sitting up here with all of you is so exciting. I mean, this is really this dream team of people that you've admired and people that you've worked with. So Jay Cassidy edited American Hustle and Silver Linings Playbook, two of your three Oscar nominations. And then you, I mean, Aaron, you did the costumes for Place Beyond the Pines, with which Bradley was in. Karen, you've worked so closely with Baz Luhrmann and Catherine Martin before. Uh, Matthew Liebetik, non nominated for Black Swan. I mean, and Sam, who you've admired for so long. How exciting was it for you to kind of be able to put this team together in all of these people that some of which you knew and some of which you did not? I mean, it's everything. I mean, it's the th it, this is the deal. It's a, why I love this art form is it's collaborative. And, you know, we've all been through this journey together, and it's amazing how much, I mean, you really get to know somebody when you, when you all gather around together and try to tell a story. And, um, you know, Light Between Oceans blew me away, <coughs> and Karen did that. Yeah. And we talked, I talked to Derek C. in France, and I thought, you know, I think I could even talk to her. And we yeah. met, and it was amazing. Jay Cassidy and I fell in love through fighting in Silver Linings Playbook. And then <laughs> and we developed this incredible relationship through American Hustle from David O. Russell and Joy. And that, I mean, he, he and I are friends for life. Aaron and I went through the trenches on Place Beyond the Pines. Maddie, Jennifer Lawrence, said's the best cinematographer bar none she's ever worked with. And, uh, and I'd, I'd already been a fan of his. And then we, we met and we just kind of, we just jived right away. And Sam Elliott. Hmm. <laughs> Sam Elliott. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> nothing to say. I think I said they it. They said it too. And that and Sam, for for all of us that have loved your work for so long, to see you take a role like this and just do it so beautifully is such a such a thrill. What would you say the role of Bobby allowed you to do or explore that maybe you hadn't done before? I think it just was an opportunity to work with some people that I'd never worked with before. Um, clearly, working with Bradley and working with Stephanie was, that's what allowed me to do what I did, whatever I did. <laughs> you know, I mean, Bradley created this environment for us and uh, it was one in which we all felt safe we all trusted him, and I think we all kind of got at the truth, you know, and it's, uh, if you can do that and trust and love who you're working with, then odds are something special is going to happen. And he brought you back after you thought you had wrapped. He did. What I had there? wrapped. I mean, it wasn't even a matter of thinking it. I had wrapped. <laughs> 
So how did that conversation? I, I, I had a text. I got a, it. It came to me via text from Bradley. We texted a lot, off and on through. The, I kind of came and went, obviously, <laughs> as I did in the show. And uh, I got a text after I'd wrapped, and Bradley said, "What do you think about this?" And I thought, "Holy shit, I like that idea a lot." You and know? what you're talking about is and the and, and it, it, was, it was the scene with Stephanie in the end. And uh, initially it was to be Dice, I believe, her dad that was going to come and talk to her, you know, and comfort her. And Bradley, for whatever reason, decided it needed to be Bobby, and I'm going to be forever beholden to him and forever grateful that he made that decision because it was one of my favorite moments for me in, you know, in this journey. I'd love to also, yeah. I'd love to also ask about another one of my favorite moments since you're sitting with, with Matthew, that great moment where Bradley's character gets out of the truck, has that wonderful line about how he idolized you, and then there's that great moment where we see you backing up and, and it's filled with emotion, but it was also a bit of, logi of a logistical nightmare with your getting the camera operators to sit in the right way, right? Well, I mean, uh, everything's a logistical nightmare in this movie. <laughs> Because of budget constraints and time, but that's sort of uh, we were just talking about. You know, out of necessity comes uh, uh, opportunity, and uh, ideas and creativity. And um, you know, the thing that Maddie and I always talked about, ever even from the beginning, and then every day, is how can we um, get the composition we want while also allowing the actors to feel completely free. And we often did long takes uh, where. And and um, so what we did was, I mean, we had two cameras in the back of the truck, and we talked about I'm gonna I'm gonna leave, and then Matt, I think Matt, you were a, so you went down, and then Chris got got Sam, so Chris was able to get no, Sam. Scott. Scott Scott's got Sam, and um, and because I and so that and so we just created an environment so that Sam could be as free as possible while at the same time getting the shot that we wanted. And in a general sense, Matthew, how did you go about achieving the sense of intimacy that really comes across? in the film. Well, I just want to say one thing about that moment. Yeah. Is I was on Bradley when he got out of the car and Scott, uh, our A camera operator, was on um, Sam. And I, so I didn't see Sam's performance. So I went down to the house that we shot at that was Jack Bain's house. Went to the video playback and I watched it. And when I saw that second take, I ran over to Scott and I said, why the fuck didn't you tell me that that happened? <laughs> you didn't say anything. <laughs> And I was like, it's, it's probably one of the most magical things I've ever seen. Like the, the greatest reaction I think I've ever seen as a cameraman, as long as I've been there. You know. But, um, <laughs> anyway. I mean, intimacy is, uh, it's, a, it's equal parts performance and proximity. That's it. So it's like, well, we spend every, the beginning of every scene, Bradley and I would spend every moment trying to figure out where the right place to put the camera was. Not how many shots we needed, but where the camera needed to be. And if we felt like we needed another thing, we'd get another thing. And it was a liberating way to work um, because there was a singular vision. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the house, so I'll skip to Karen because I feel like that house, it feels like this great Topanga house. I don't know where, where it actually was, but it that's really a centerpiece of the movie, and I just love the design of that house. Was that one of the most fun things to put together? 
It was. It's Calabasas, actually. Oh, okay. so close enough. <laughs> um, I think out of all the environments, it was the one of the ones that took the longest for us because it just had to be right. It just had to feel warm and safe and away, you know. And we're in Los Angeles and there's not many places that are, like, really private. So I think it, feel, it, it did end up feeling quite like he was alone out there. And he had been there for a while on his own. You know, you know, you don't know how long or whatever, but you wanted it to feel um, like when she comes, it warms up even more, but already quite warm. So it was, it was important. And I think we waited long enough, and it was, um, it was, a, we found it at the right time, and gave it a lot of love. And my set decorator, Ryan Watson, um, brought some beautiful Just incredible. character. Yeah, he brought some beautiful character to that set, and he and I worked really well. We're like the same person, just different gender um so we we love doing that set we love it you know yeah, that was that was like a beautiful that was a beautiful find because i wanted hallways things to happen in hallways and i just love the sort of church-like chapel like uh um, living room kitchen so that when he comes back he's sort of kneeling to the altar of Lebian rose in this place that he hopes is going to be the sanctuary um, and, and and then also this idea of talking about where he co comes from when he's with her in the parking lot. You have this, you know, and then you see this desert to feel like he's tried to somehow create that environment in Los Angeles. And it really just, you know, Karen is just, I, I would just say four things to her and then she, we, we got on the exact same page. It really was, I mean, I hope I get to work with, I don't want to change the team at all. <laughs> Uh, if I ever get to do another movie, because it really was just something. I remember. I, th I don't even know if you remember with the Virgil. I mean, one of the most great greatest recreations was what you did with the Virgil, the uh, the drag bar, mm. which is a bar that looks nothing like what she created. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but I talked about it. like, do you remember the old cartoons when Bugs Bunny's walking into a TP and then he walks in? It's a completely different space. <laughs> and that's and that's and, and then she's like, yeah, yeah. And then like you know, but it's like little things. And you know, some people are like, what are you talking about? But but we just had this kind of language that uh, you can only pray for. Aaron, for you, what was the story you were trying to tell through wardrobe? Because it's always fascinating to hear the costume designers talk about how clothes evolve throughout the arc of a story. Sure. Um, you know, I think our the thing that was most unique about this movie was that I had to listen to music in order to figure out what to put our actors in. You know, and that changed completely. I don't know if you remember, Bradley, but we started off, and I wanted to do leather pants, oh, Jim Morrison, because <laughs> oh, they're I awesome. Remember. And then I, I realized, those photos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, until we found Jackson Maine. You know, we found him. But it, yeah, I think it. You know, I think it was the. It was hearing the music, listening to the music, mm. and finding the character. Finding the end to the character that way. But can I just uh, sorry? Sure. I just, but the I just have the level of investment of all these people. I just want to tell a quick story. Of the wedding. Can I tell that story? Sure. You know, just li I mean, everybody gave everything 24 hours a day, and we were looking. We couldn't find the wedding dress. The wedding dress. That's her wedding dress that no. she wore at her wedding. <laughs> Thanks, Bradley. Right. No, but it's amazing. No, I'm saying that's it's like. True. I mean, who who does that? <laughs> Talk about giving it up for the art. <laughs> Did you have to have it altered beyond the point where you can never wear it again? No, it just fit. I don't know how or why. I hope she fit. doesn't have to wear it again. I know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Hey. Is, was there one 
alley look besides like as far as a performance look that was particularly fun to put together like some of the kind of more poppy ones i'm gonna say saturday night live i got to actually go to stephanie's house watch a choreographed dance that's when i actually understood with the music and the dancing what was going to happen there and that was the only way i could figure out what to put her in so <laughs> that was amazing All right um <laughs> Jay, one of the things that Bradley told me about some of the musical scenes is that he wanted it to have a documentary look and feel to it. And you're definitely reminded of The Last Waltz and other great film documentaries. How, if at all, did that impact your work as the, the editor? Did that, did that affect the choices that you made? Bradley shot the concerts with the point of view that you're always on stage with the performer looking out. Uh, at the at the audience, you, so you you never have a, a camera that's photographing from the audience's point of view. So once once that decision is made and that that uh, a sort of conceit is established, it meant that uh, you were gonna the, the cutting was almost uh, easy because instead of having eighteen cameras like you'd think on a concert film, you had two, and so uh, the 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 intent was always to keep the shots as long as they'd play and and stay with the performer and and not and get kind of get out of the way of of the performance so that uh, uh, you just felt it. Did you have different conversations about how the non-musical scenes would be edited and paced compared to the musical scenes or was it all meant to kind of be of a piece? Well, all, I, I mean, it's all meant to be of a piece, but certainly, you know, you, the, in the editorial process, you're finding the rhythms of the scene, and you're, and then as you get the whole thing assembled, you're finding the rhythm of the whole thing, and you know, with that uh, kind of mantra that that you wanted to, you, you you never wanted to to have a staccato moment in the film, unless you wanted a staccato moment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we we that's how we approach the editing. And Jay was a part of the process during the writing. I mean, I, I've worked with a lot of editors, and his, his he cares about story to such a huge degree. He's almost a, he is a writer because you're writing in the editing room. You are you are you are writing the rhythm of the movie, and uh, he, he's he, it's such an honor to work with him, and he really is Thank the you. best. And Thank um, you. and and it was just incredible to always talk about story with an editor, mm. you know, and character. And how that and and that dictate the the and rhythm and you know we were always trying to create this one musical element that the whole film yep. has one musical element. Yeah, and also you know this man took a some uh, made a kind of a, a creative uh, risk that was hard to believe um, in on the scale he was doing it, and I wanted to be there. <laughs> when he did it, you know, I mean, like, he's writing it, he's directing it, he's acting in it, he's singing. <laughs> and so this, this is, you know, this is an exciting thing. And, and that kind of, uh, uh, we, we don't see that too often in Hollywood. So it's a, it's a tremendous honor to be involved with it. Yep. It's... It really is so exciting to to witness Lady Gaga's performance and see what a beautiful, natural actor she is. Sam, did you get the sense in working with her that she was almost surprising herself in a way? 
it's weird to talk about her. She's not here. But it, did you get the sense that she was super confident throughout the whole way through? We did an event with her a couple days ago, and I was really struck by her humility in, as far as this being a relatively new endeavor for her. Wow. I'm not sure that that's a question for me. You know, when Bradley was there in so deep with her every day, I, I just know from, you know, that I had two moments on screen with her, I had two scenes with her, and really the last scene was the time that I had, but I never felt like she was surprising herself. You know, I just think she is who she is, and she's such a lovely human being, as Bradley said in the beginning when we sat down here. It's just, she just has it. She's just, she's iconic. She's, she's, you know, I mean, she's everything that everybody knows or doesn't know about her. It's astounding that that's all in one package. I know when I went there that day and worked with her, I've got a, a daughter that's two years older than Stephanie, and uh, I've been listening to her music at my house for 10 years, so, you know. And, and, and seeing the get-ups and, <laughs> you know. And I remember going to the, the table read, which was an astounding table read. It was huge, for one thing. I've never been to a table read where the head of the studios was sitting there. And I remember talking to Stephanie and telling her that it's going to take me a couple of days to get over her. And then, it, you know, through the course of the movie, I got to know her, and then to go in there and see her stripped bare in that last scene and talk about the 12 notes and be there in close proximity to Bradley. <laughs> it, it's going to take a long time to get over this, this experience. These, we were standing backstage over there, and all I could do is just try to hold it together. I, I, I wept at the Toronto Film Festival. <laughs> I'll cop to that. <laughs> I hadn't seen the film in a long time. And, and, it's, it, and it's the music that gets me more than anything else. Because it's just, you know, it's another... The music's another character in the piece. Clearly, and it just furthers the story. That was a long, convoluted answer to your Listen, question. And, and you I'm said, not sure I even answered the you question. You did. And you said it's not a question for you. I'm certainly glad I asked you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but that raises an interesting thing that I also want to talk about, which is that, and now that I've seen it a couple of times, I really paid attention tonight to the lyrics of all the songs, because you've said to me several times that Every lyric in every song of this movie has a meaning to the story. It's not like the action stops for a song. And, it's, and I really was listening really closely and carefully and marveling at that this time. So what was that like to work with your co-writers, Will and Eric, as far as making sure that you were attending to the overall structure, the dialogue within each scene, but also the songs that would occur and the lyrics? I think time is uh, was the was the opportunity uh, or, or the gift in order to allow those things to occur. So I'd been working with them, writing the script for probably two years before we then started to uh, have writers come in. Incredible writer Jason Isbell sent that demo 
uh, of Maybe It's Time, which became like an anchor for Jack's song. And all those lyrics, I thought, wow, this really fits into his character. Uh, and then Lucas Nelson and uh, Hillary Lindsay and Lady Gaga, we started working on the music together. And, and because we knew what the story was, we were able to have that sort of impress upon the nature of the songs and the nature of what, 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 what we want to say in these songs. Um, so I, I think the script and the story informed what the songs were going to be. And I think we had the luxury of that because we knew what it was already. And also, it then once the songs began began to be written, it was an they both then it was a sort of coexisting evolution. So the script would then be informed by the songs, mm. um, and you know, and 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 songs would switch where we would place them in the movie. Um, at in the very beginning, I thought "Shallow" was going to be the last song in the film. Oh. Uh, and then and then I, then we and then I started thinking, well, maybe it could be a duet, um, and because I wanted to see like the the almost in real time, the creation of a song, you know, from its inception. Having spent time with her and other musicians, I'm always fascinated. How does a song start? You know, how do, what, what's the kernel of the idea? How does it, is it a lyric? Is it a melody? What is it? Um, so I think it was really time. Time allowed that. And, and knowing what the story is. As long as you know what the story is and who the characters are, then everything can sort of be created around that. And I think that's also why we had so much fun, all of us. And, you know, Maddie and I talking about blue and red and how that, and that I mean, that's a character mm, in the movie. Mm. Um, Aaron talking about, I mean, if you look at actually what's on Ali's T-shirts in a lot of scenes, if you go again, if you look at if you want to watch it again, <laughs> even what's on the T-shirts. What does the Yes T-shirt mean? Yeah. Well, she's about to say yes to a change in her life. There you go. The guy shows up at her door. Right. Yeah. Oh, I like that. So for each of the four of you, what's the one thing when you watch this movie where you look at your own work in it and you think, I cannot believe we pulled that off? Is there, is there a shot, is there a cut, is there a set, is there a costume that you're particularly excited about? Uh, yeah, really good question. I think the first moment we get to see Allie, not on stage or not, you know, sort of plain Allie, is, a, is that was, a, was the most fun, most hard, most challenging and great moment for a lot of us. When she's watching him do the solo yeah. moment in the, with the guitar. And exactly. The and they're about to go out. And right. it was sort of establishing who is Allie and who, what kind of girl is she and where does she come from and what is she interested in and how strong does she feel about herself and how does she feel in the world? How does she move in the world? And um, I know that was a really cool moment for us to figure out. And I know, I mean, Karen and I spent like weeks while our like daughters were playing over in the side at each other's <laughs> houses, just looking at tons of pictures of musicians and old musicians and ex-musicians and just like trying to figure out who this girl was. How about the rest of you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it's really, um, I think one of the, the first conversation I ever had with Bradley, like I said, we met quite cold, you know, we just like, I just get to LA and I'm like, hi, and we and then we just hit it off, it was really beautiful. But um, I think the biggest thing was just, we didn't start getting very specific, it was more about how it was gonna feel. And I think for me, it was a lot of the things I didn't do. So um, I thought it was very important for the authenticity of those concerts. I, I actually was, uh, I had a tour manager in my life for a while, a long time ago, and did a lot of backstage, you know, just being a person there on backstage. And I thought it was very important for that to be extremely authentic. So often 
we did. We went to places that we went to Coachella, we went to Stagecoach, we went to Glastonbury, we went to venues around Los Angeles where they're really different, really beautiful, and we used them for what they were. Which um, And we found people to help in my departments to create that. We actually had a tour manager who worked with us who's in the film. Mm. And he's, you know... Well, um, most of the crew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jack, Jack Main's Maddie's band and his guitar Aaron. tech and everybody. They're, the all, um, they're all the real deal. They're all working in the industry. So we were very connected to the industry, which I think for me was like important. And, and I think it, it shows in the film. It definitely way. shows. How about you, Jay? I think... I would just say there's nothing that we w that you didn't see, uh, in other words, that was shot that we took out of the film in the editing that I would put back. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, for me, it was um, once we had decided the language of the stage, because we knew how many performances there would be in the script, it was my anxiety was about how the love story would work out because I'd never done it before. And I guess as we would search in every scene, I think that proximity of camera to subject became more and more important. And when um, one of my favorite scenes is when she visits him in the um, rehab. And uh, that's where I really feel, like I, I don't actually notice all the proximity <laughs> until then, mm. for some reason, for me. Because that's where I, when we were making the film, that's where I realized the proximity. So um, for me, and, and, and there was such a, there's a connection and a disconnect in that scene uh, emotionally because it's, you know, he's wanting to go home and she asks a very vague question. Mm. And it's really, you know, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I've been there. And, um, you know, it was emotional for me. So I had a lot of, I, I had a lot of connection personally to uh, their relationship, and uh, but I'd never done it as a cinematographer. So let me let me end the night by asking you now the same thing. What's the most miraculous aspect of it for you? I mean, the fact that we all did it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> quite honestly, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and that all these people entrusted themselves to me is uh, very. Uh, I, I don't know if I'll ever get over that. Um, but but specifically. Every day was hard. Every day was hard, um, and that and I wouldn't have it any other way. And I think that's why it made us all have to dig it deeper. It was de definitely de deeper than I've ever dug before. And I thought I dug very deep before, but not like this. Um, but uh, but there's something about uh, jumping onto a set that you have very no control over. And you know, uh, I I, I love you know she's the real deal. And the movie had to be as authentic as she is. And certainly the concert scenes. And, and Karen's right. I mean, she was dogmatic from day one. Mm -hmm. And we certainly looked at other options. <laughs> and she was stalwart in saying no. You know, no, in a great way. No, it was, and thank God. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, okay, we got to jump on real stages. <laughs> and Maddie and I flew to London with Steve Marr, the sound guy, just three of us. And we uh, jumped on the stage at Glastonbury, and we had four minutes and uh, that was probably the most terrifying and exhilarating <laughs> four minutes. Most of all, because when we got there, we realized that the band had just played. There were nine people on the stage, so there were nine microphones, and that would have been like a labyrinth for the camera operator. <laughs> so we're like throwing the, the mics down, and they're yelling at us, you only have four minutes, and then we just jumped on in front of 80,000 people and sang two songs and got out of there. <laughs> and. Uh, 
And it was really crazy. And, and, and we did the same. The opening of the movie is Stagecoach. We had eight minutes. And that one we, we had really talked about. And the idea of start, I really wanted that. Remember the shot with the, in between the two guitars? And trying to, get, trying to get our compositions within eight minutes was so wonderful to watch the crew, all of us work together as a unit. That's the thing I love so much is that, you know, we all have equal parts in this movie. It's like, I look, it's, and, and also the people that aren't here, Mike Sexton, Mike Sexton and Shelley Ziegler and so many people, like, it really was a unit. A unit made this movie. That's why this, this art form is so wonderful. It's about community and collaboration and everybody is a voice. And that's, that's the thing I just want to keep doing, keep doing. And who was the nice musical artist who yielded four minutes of his set to you? Chris Christophe. <laughs> it's just too perfect. <laughs> Guys, congratulations on the movie. I'm so happy you all were here. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Academy Conversations Uncut. We hope you enjoyed this unique access to a members-only Q&A at the Academy. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and help us reach film lovers around the world. This podcast was produced by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences.